Folks, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. Here we are. It's Monday night. It's 7.30 Eastern on, uh, yeah, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. That's right. Or as John Somsky likes to say, 6.30 Central Time, the only time zone that matters. My uh, my name's Jim Reed. I'm your host because I've got the best freaking job in the world. I get to hang out here on Monday nights, hanging out with my poker friends and watching uh, and, and talking about this great game of poker that we all love so much. And if you want to find out more about my poker friends and I, you can head on over to rec.poker slash crew because it takes a uh, it takes a village. It takes a crew. It takes a group to make the magic happen here at rec.poker. And everyone on the wrecking crew is a big part of uh, of that effort. So head on over to rec.poker slash crew and you can meet amazing folks like the one and only producing co-host Chris Jones. Well, I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5v5 on threads or 5x5 in the PokerStars home game. I am Joe Coolis. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Cool PhD, cool with a K, or on the home game at home game at Elvita11. And I am John Somsky, also known as Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I'm Keith Brandt, and I'm known as Monkey System Everywhere. I'm Kim Kilroy. I'm known as PatBat or PatBat33 on most platforms, Fergie56 in the home game. All right. And uh, we're excited to be here just like we are every week, folks. Um, the Wrecking Crew are the magic makers that uh, make it all happen. I'm hearing from Luke in the YouTube chat that it's 10 a.m. Uh, Australian Eastern Standard Time. There you go. Yeah, we actually were starting a little late tonight because we did our forums recording a little earlier. So it's actually 8 p.m. Eastern right now. 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Time from the one and only Luke O'Driscoll. Uh, great to see you here in the chat again, Luke. Um, so uh, the so we've thanked uh, the Wrecking Crew. We've got to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. Um, if folks don't know, they're the best. They've been a sponsor of the Rec Poker Podcast since day one. But what I'm really excited about is next weekend, if you're listening to this live when it comes out, uh, next weekend we are having our Rec Poker road trip to Running Aces. It's going to be on August 4th and 5th. There's a ton of prizes being given away. There's a three tournament event series with uh, prizes for winning, but also prizes for the uh, the tournament the player of the tournament race. There's going to be a leaderboard for final table points. We're going to have some social events. I'm going to buy a bunch of people some beers or whatever it is that they prefer to drink. Um, and a lot of the Wrecking Crew members that you are used to hearing on the show are going to be there. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope folks um, get a chance to get on out there to Running Aces for August 4th and 5th. And if you have a Running Aces player card, I know you can get a discount on a hotel room for the weekend. And if you're a Rec Poker Premium member, you get a $10 food voucher just for playing in one of the tournaments. And Rec Poker Premium only costs you 5 bucks to get for your first month if you use the code Rec Poker. So I'm just saying, use the code Rec Poker, get premium for the for a month, get a $10 food voucher. You just made 5 bucks the easy way, folks. Um, so don't forget to check that out. Um, the other thing I want to, the other folks I have to thank, are our premium members because they're what get us out of bed in the morning. Uh, we couldn't do what we do here at Rec Poker without our premium members. 
And we've got three new premium members since we last uh, were on the air. And I would say they're new premium members, but some of these are uh, some very familiar faces. Uh, one, Elizabeth Bennett Martin is never too successful to come and learn with uh, Rec Poker members. I love to see this. Elizabeth's uh, turned into quite an accomplished uh, live player. I believe she won the women's event at the Irish Poker Open. Um, she's been heads up in a couple other bracelets. She had a big finish in Vegas while we were down there for the World Series of Poker. Um, but I love this learning attitude. Elizabeth is so awesome. Um, she's back as a premium member. She's going to be brushing up on the book study and can't wait to take her game to the next level. Another friendly face that we're going to be seeing in our premium member chats is none other than Daniel Kennedy, a longtime uh, community member and uh, Minnesota friend of the show. Looking forward to getting to know Daniel um, a little better and probably meeting up in person when uh, we're all down there running aces next weekend. So that's going to be fun. And uh, finally, uh, Kenneth Fisher, who I have not met, but he gets to join Tron Vidara Stensby as being one of our members from Norway. So congratulations. Thank you, uh, Kenneth Fisher, for joining the Rec Poker Premium Membership. And I won't pretend, like, I hate I'm from Canada. And people hear someone's from Canada. They're like, oh, are you friends with Bill? And like, there's like millions of us over here. I know that's the same in Norway too. But I kind of have this like, I have this naive little notion that Kenneth and uh, Tron Bedars Densby are somehow friendly together or uh, enjoy some smoked whitefish or something on a bagel every once in a while, or maybe play in the same home game club or something like that. Um, so, Kenneth, thanks for joining. I'm looking forward to sending you an email uh, about how to get the most out of your premium membership here at Red Poker. You're going to have a great time. So, uh, it, I don't know if folks know. I see a lot of people sort of smiling and laughing on the panel because I tend to drag on these intros a little bit. But we recently released episode 500. Just last week, we released episode 500 of the Rec Poker podcast, which is pretty fantastic. It, it has taken a lot of people to make that happen. Um, it's, I mean, you, you see a lot of the Wrecking Crew members here on the podcast, but we really have an amazing team of uh, volunteers and experts and friends of the show. Um, and contributors and wrecking crew members and sponsors and premium members and community members and folks that have subscribed to the podcast and folks that have subscribed to YouTube and helped us out. Um, just so appreciative of everyone's efforts to make Rec Poker as great as it can be. And so we wanted to share a little bit uh, with our podcast audience because it did start as a podcast uh, back in 2016 in Steve's basement. And um, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to make it joke about my own basement, but that's going to get too dark uh, for what we're trying to do here. Um, so I thought one of the things we could do, uh, Chris Jones runs our theme of the month every month. And one of the real keys to what we do are his uh, deep dive seminars. And so normally this would only be available for premium members, but as a gift, as a thank you to our podcast listeners, we're going to release June's deep dive seminar as a podcast here for free for everyone to enjoy. Uh, so the subject of uh, the theme of the month was Player Reads. And this is going to be a podcast. This, th this was meant to be a premium training video. So it's a lot of a lot of our videos go pretty in-depth. A lot of our seminars go pretty in-depth into board textures, uh, combo counting, different graphs and charts, um, solver outputs, that sort of thing. This one is uh, more of sort of a hand history review video, but I still think you'll get more out of it 
If you if you're listening to this, head on over to the YouTube channel for free. If you just search Rec Poker, you'll find us. And uh, this is uh, this. <laughs> oh no, do I not know what episode this is? <laughs> this is the episode that comes out on uh, July 28th. It's 503. It's episode 503. So if you head on over to YouTube, um, look up episode number 503, and you'll be able to see the video that goes along um, with this. And I, I think you'll get more out of it if you do. Chris, do you want to just talk a little bit about um, the theme of the month, player reads, and uh, what what you enjoyed about making the seminar this month? Yeah, and I, I mean, I'll just say, typically, we this was kind of a th- one of the reasons I thought that this would be a good for a podcast is it's a little bit more audio friendly, um, and it's sort of different than some of the ones we've done where we've typically had these playing sessions, which we sort of work off and like build some learning lessons around uh, how people have approached different spots. Th- this month, we didn't have a playing session. There was just too many scheduling conflicts, too many people in Vegas for the World Series. So for that month, we did this session on player reads. And basically what we took was we talked about, well, what kind of things do we look for? What kind of things are we seeing other players at the table do? And it was a panel conversation. So that felt like really kind of welcoming to the audio sort of format as well. But then uh, I brought I brought a few hands where um, there's like what we would just do in a vacuum with these kind of hands and then what kinds of things would influence us to make a different decision. Um, there were some hands where I think I took some lines that may be sort of like outside some of the norm, but based on some reads that I had about the players at my table. And we talked about those and whether people thought those were sort of like good ideas or bad ideas. And, and uh, I thought it was a really good conversation. And I, I, I guess that's what I would, I would sort of introduce this as. Nice. Well, I hope I hope folks I hope folks do enjoy it. And uh, if if you like this uh, and you want to get more of it, I, I'll just say again: Rec Poker Premium Membership is only fifteen dollars a month, and if you use code Rec Poker, you can get it for only five bucks. And I know that uh, we've built up a pretty robust archive now over the last three years of not only um, Chris's deep dive seminars, but our book studies. Our, our amazing learning with partners program where we take little slivers of training material from other training sites out there and show it, uh, show it to our premium members for free. Uh, my own poker tracker review groups, uh, Kim's hand history review, Keith's off table tools. Uh, we're a few uh, uh, episodes into Joe's uh, poker psyops, Eric's play, explain and learn. Um, I'm going to forget a couple because I mean, we have so many things going on here every week at Red poker, but go, Think about dropping that five bucks and uh, checking out the archive. I think you'll find a lot of valuable stuff there. So uh, without further ado, I think we'll uh, cut to Chris Jones's deep dive for June on player reads. And then when we come back, we'll follow up with uh, some home game results. We'll talk a little more about the uh, Rec Poker road trip coming up to Running Aces. We'll give away a prize like we do every week here on the Rec Poker podcast. And it will get on out of here. So Without further ado, let's go check out that deep dive. Well, welcome everyone. This is the June deep dive for 2023. Um, 
this month we're talking about player reads and exploits. Um, and um, we did have a playing session this month. Uh, however, it didn't quite produce the results I was hoping for. We had a couple of plants, tried to get people to play differently based on some of the reads that were going on at the table. But it, it uh, there, the cards weren't right. The, the reads weren't uh, kind of coming through as strongly as I was hoping. Um, so... Instead, uh, what I, I kind of uh, adjusted on the fly and uh, found some hands from basically my last month of play and uh, had a really good conversation with some of the Wrecking Crew members about what are some of the factors that might uh, change how we might play some of these spots. So that's kind of going to be the focus of our deep dive this month. Um, so just a reminder, the deep dive is a monthly uh, uh topic that we explore as a community and i want to keep growing this together um we um include um a set a part at the end where we are going to look at the playing session that took place we'll talk through some of those hands learning with partners takes on some of the uh, aspects of the of this um of the topic each month community q a we do at the end of the month as well that go along with that playing session i mean we're hoping this keeps extending elsewhere into the forums uh, maybe we can all talk about various reads we're having adjustments we're making exploits we're trying to find um so that's uh that's what we're hoping to do with the deep dive um i've been excited to see some of that starting to bubble up hoping to make it even more but uh, so for this month we're really we're talking about these player reads we're going to look at four specific spots um and talk about why we might make adjustments versus what our standard play might be and what kind of things we'd be looking for both online and in the live realm um and then we'll talk about how we decide to make those exploits when we do actually decide to make them. So uh, tune in or sit back. Uh, I'm going to queue it up and we'll start the conversation we had with the Wrecking Crew. Thanks for joining us. Uh, all right. Well, welcome, everyone. This is the June Deep Dive. Um, we're doing this a little bit differently this month. Um, I, I'll... There's going to be a little bit that I'll add on at the end, but we're going to have a conversation about a few hands that I have played recently. Um, and one of the reasons we're doing this is the playing session. This is the first time where the playing session just didn't quite, didn't quite live up to what I was hoping. Uh, it just didn't have a number of hands where we could really see people making adjustments. There wasn't enough time to figure it out. Maybe wasn't constructed as well as I could have. So uh, I kind of abandoned that playing session and and we're going with uh, this. Um, but what I want to talk about and spend some time talking with this group about is how we make adjustments and what helps us make those kinds of decisions. Um, the hand, I have four hands here that I'm going to show you. Uh, I played them a certain way. Uh, there's reasons I played them these ways. At least I think they're good reasons. They may be terrible reasons. Um, but we're going to talk before I tell you any of that information. I'm not going to tell you anything about any of the players at the table. Uh, we're going to look at these hands. We're going to kind of go through them. We're going to talk about, okay, what kind of stat, if we're playing this online, what kind of HUD stats or things would we be looking for that might tip us in a different direction in terms of our decision-making? We're also then going to talk about uh, 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 both online or live, what kind of timing uh, things might tip us in a certain direction. And then if this were a live uh, hand, what kind of live reads might uh, shift our decision-making? Um, so before before I jump into the first hand that we've got in front of us, any 
comments or questions about where we're headed, uh, thoughts, ideas, concerns, plans? I mean, the only thing that jumps out to me is, as with all tells and exploits, it, what you really have to think about first is establishing a baseline with the opponent. So some of the things we'll look at, like stats to use, that's going to be a standard no matter who you're playing against. But when it comes to like timing tells or live tells, pulse, you know, the breath, rate, rate of breathing, that kind of thing, um, what really matters is that you have spent at least enough time playing with this player that you know what their default is. And then when they deviate from that, that's a more uh, helpful piece of information. So I think we get kind of stuck on, especially online, because I play a lot online and like timing tells, they really depend on the player because some players just act very quickly all the time. And some only do it when they have easy decisions and knowing which one's which uh, can be really helpful. I, I think there would be one <clears throat> caveat to that is that if you look for moments of surprise for them when something doesn't happen in the manner in which they were expecting. You can a lot of times pull a lot of information from that moment. Um, so for instance, if um, you decide to, instead of uh, betting, uh, see betting after when you're pre-flop razor, you can sometimes watch the person next. They may be expecting you to bet. And when you don't, there are moments of honesty in terms mm -hmm. of their expectation that you can mine from. But you got to be watching and you got to be pretty observant to notice it. Um, it's just you get more honesty and surprise than you do in something that they can plan forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's start with this firsthand. Um this one's the simplest. It's a. It's actually um, a pretty much just a pre-flop spot. Um, we're going to just get it. Folds around. We get a cutoff open. Here we are on the button. Jack 10 of hearts. What would you do normally? And what kind of things might shift your your directions towards doing something differently? So what? how would you approach this hand if, if I told you nothing about anything about any player at this table? You go ahead, right? I'd probably just call. Mm -hmm. I like Jack 10. It's a strong hand, but and it's suited, so I'd want to see a flop. I don't want to raise and then get raised, you know, four bet over the top. So I'm just as soon see a flop with this hand, and I'd probably just call. Yeah, I think I, I agree. It's too strong and too weak to raise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I really like that you picked this hand because it does have me internally conflicted and I am kind of thinking about the different types of things that I'd be looking for uh, with this, like especially live. Uh, if like I could see like the opponent that's over here, um, I would never like three bet small versus, you know, that like older middle aged guy that just loves to see flops. Because uh, you know you're going to get called a lot, even if you go, you know, six bigs, seven bigs, whatever it may be. It's like you know a third or fourth of your stack, uh, but they're not going to care. It's a huge part of their stack. Um, but first, that opponent, I might be willing to just three bet rip it in, and you know just push on that. And you know they've got a lot of chips, so they're scared of all ins, and they're just gonna they're gonna fold. Um, but first, you know, solid opponents that I think are going to play pretty correct against me. Um, 
I'm kind of torn between calling in three bedding to a smaller sizing. Mm-hmm. And this is a tournament, right? Tournament. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, you, you do, you do have problems behind you. You're putting a bunch of money in. And I think that that might push me towards actually raising or even ripping it in as, as, as Taylor said, just to eliminate and, and mm-hmm. um, make it um, better depending upon, obviously I'd want to know how they play. Are they players that have some smarts or are they just simply going to call behind uh, and then put me four ways uh, to a flop? Yeah. This is one of those hands where for me, it's occasionally a call, occasionally a three bet. The only information we have so far on these players is their chip stacks. And then in this particular player, their opening size and the effective stacks on the blinds and this own player are pretty deep. They're over 60 big blinds. So when they're choosing a 2.1 sizing at that stack depth, sometimes that might indicate a really wide range, not necessarily a weak hand, but a wide range. And that might incline me to three bet more frequently. Um, but without any, without any other information to go on, uh, I, I, yeah, I could probably play it as a, as a call or as a, or as a race. All right. We're getting pretty short ourselves. So that I'll give you a factor. I'll give you some context now. Um, uh, can th- I add one more yeah, thing yeah, yeah, before go you go there actually? Um, cause I think the one thing that no one's really talked about is, uh, what are the players behind us? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is the small blind prone to, you know, three bet, uh, often in squeeze spots, likewise with the big blind. Uh, cause then I'm leaning against calling cause like, I don't want to call and get three bets squeezed and then have to fold this hand. I don't, I'd rather, you know, go to 600. Um, if they four bet, you know, squeeze over the top. Okay. All right. Well, I'll give it up now, but at least I take away kind of the easier option, which is a three bet squeeze for either one of those. So I, a lot of us talking about the cutoff, I think we do have to very much be aware of like, what are the blinds going to do and have our decisions based off of that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also kind of relevant where we are in the tournament as well. Like everyone's pretty deep here, so I don't think we're close to the bubble, but um, that would be a factor as well as to whether to to call or raise, I think. So, and this is going to complicate matters. This is the only the only hand I chose um, that was uh, from a PKO. This was actually from the Venom uh, that I played. Uh, I don't know when that was. Um, and this is late on day one. Um, so we are not in the money, but we're we're closing in on making a day two, um, which is you know then you get close to the money. So we're we're in some real. We have a bounty on our head. We've uh, already collected one bounty, but we're obviously the shortest uh, player at this table. So that has a, a significant impact um, on us. Um, and so I'll I'll tell you that much, and then maybe I'll. I'll just say now that you know this is an online tournament, it's a high stakes online tournament. Um, we're in this spot. If you could like, if I could show you their HUDs right now, and I could show you some stats about these players, are there any in particular that you would want to know if you were going to sort of make a different decision about where you might be headed? I got like 50. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about them. I want to hear I, what. What are they? So the play, a couple of these uh, panelists have already mentioned the players to the left. Their three bet percentage mm-hmm. um, overall, a three bet percentage is really valuable here. But you can also have a stat 
that is three bet versus late position open. Mm -hmm. And that is typically going to be higher than a typical standard three bet um, uh, percentage. So that one for sure. Um, also their squeeze percentage, because if we do call, we're setting up a very juicy squeeze spot and the players in these tournaments are not going to be turning their nose up at uh, some opportunities to add some aggression and take some pots down, small pots down, pre-flop. Um, so those two, but I also want to see uh, their call raise from big blind percentage uh, or their uh, continue um, to VPIP, VPIP passively from the blinds. That's another one that's going to be relevant. The ones on the other side of it that I'm always going to be looking at is, you know, a player's uh, raise first in stat is always going to be really important. And again, you can break those down into not only raise first in, but attempt to steal from late mm -hmm. position, which is, again, going to be a higher number. And then also their fold to three bet stat is a is like in the Bible for this kind of stuff. I even I have a HUD that I give out to our coaching clients that specifically targets players that open too wide and fold to three bets too often because you can three bet them to death and uh, pick up a lot of pots that way. But another stat that's interesting, if they don't have a fold to three bet that's particularly high, is how often do they fold to C bets in three bet pies? Because if they call three bets a lot and then they overfold the C bets, that's another really good argument for three betting now, building a pot and then taking it away post flop when there's more chips in the middle. Those are the ones that kind of jump out at me right off the top. Those are good. I like it. I would want to know the uh, VPIP and PFR of the original Razor. Mm -hmm. I want to know how aggressive and passive he is. Mm -hmm. If he has a very high VPIP and a very low um, PFR, you know that his, when he raises preflop, he's very, very strong. So I would want to look at that. If, if he's a reg, you know, he's going to be right in that middle part. Then he is, his range is going to be very similar to my range in that spot. So I'm going to have a pretty good idea of where I stand. And then to Jim's point, the three betting stats from the uh, small blind and the big blind definitely be something. I, I have that on my pop-up by position, so I can look at by position what they do. And that's probably the first thing I'd look at with those two. Mm -hmm. um, some HUDs, you can also train to break down different open sizes and uh, show the class of hands that they take those actions with. So like in the um, rec poker HUD, I think you can see a readout of which hands they've opened to 3x, which hands they've opened to 2.5, which hands they've opened to 2x. And um, you need a big sample size to have that um, do anything helpfully, but it still can give you a sense if there are conspicuous absences in any of those, then that can help you kind of arrange your opponent a bit here too. Uh, so what if I told you I jammed here? Uh, Taylor, you mentioned this as a as a possibility here. Um, if you had all those stats, Jim, the ones you're talking about, why would this be, or would, I mean, maybe this is a terrible play. Maybe it's a terrible play no matter what their stats are, but because I'm open to that too. Um, no, I don't think so at all. I think if, if they had a high uh, raise first in from late position, and a high fold to three bet when raising, then you're getting pretty close to like any playable hand is best played as a three bet. And at this stack depth, 
a hand like 10 jack suited is going to have really good equity against a lot of their continuing range. Um, so even though you're not blocking aces or kings or ace king or anything like that, you're still bringing a lot of equity in mm-hmm. on the times that they do call. So if they're th- th- those stats, will, I don't know if that's exactly what you're getting at, but but those stats in particular would make this a I I'd feel perfectly confident making this shove and, and I'm sure it would be a profitable one. Yeah, after I looked at this a little better, um, I mean, with a, you have 26 big blinds. Um, If you had 20 big blinds, my standard uh, action to a raise is to push all in. If it's not a PKO, um, I have not really thought about how a, how that affects things. So I'm not really sure. It seems that the bounty should somehow, but I'm not really sure how it would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does, John. You uh, you widen some of those ranges where if you know you previously would be taking 15 big line stacks as rejams, like you move that up because the bounty adds value to your opponent. Um, both the chips that they could win plus the bounty, um, so they call a little bit wider. So you kind of you're able to jam you know, bigger effective stacks. So and I'll tell you a little bit about what led me to make this decision. Um, my my nervousness here was that I had, big blind had just been moved to the table and I had very few hands on them. So this was a little bit of like, that was like my, you know, like I don't, I'm doing this part without any data. But what I did know about these two players here is that this player, the small blind, um, was a very aggressive squeezer, a very aggressive mm. three-better, um, but was not somebody who uh, seemed to be bounty hunting when when there were like lots of opportunities on the table. And the best read I had was on this cutoff player who I had, I have more than five or 600 hands. I mean, like I have a lot of hands on this player. Um, and their attempt, so... Uh, if you're kind of like, what is an attempt? Is what's a reasonable attempt to steal? If you think about like that number, we're looking at people just from the cutoff or the button. How often are they trying to steal the blinds? Um, and what I've heard is anything over sort of like anything over forty percent is pretty. That's aggressive. Anything over fifty is kind of getting a little unreasonable. And anything with and this player uh, is seventy-two. So like 72% of the time they are opening, if it folds to them and they're in the cutoff of the button, they're opening. Um, And that between that and realizing that I had this player behind me, that if I flatted this, I did not like the idea of raising this small, given the fact that I'm the short stack and I'm the bounty. And I just feel like I'm just too easy to push around in this situation. Uh, But given that dynamic, um, I felt very comfortable the cutoff was, you know, had a lot of air that ha- is just going to have to fold to this jam, even if they're bounty hunting. Um, and that the small blind seemed to shy away from the, they wanted to be the aggressor. Um, and then the big blind was just like, a, I, you know, hope they have a big blind hand that they just fold. <laughs> um, so that's what led me to make this decision. It's probably a hand that, as we talked about, Given complete unknowns or more standard statistics, 
I may find myself just flatting this more often, but this was a decision that like, when I was looking at this, I was like, this is a really good spot. I need to put this in. I need to just take this down and I'm going to take it down a lot. And it's going to be very valuable to me, especially with this short stack. So thoughts now that you know the context. Did yeah, I-, I think even even in the absence of knowing is full to three bet, if you've got that aggressive player on your left, like that's a great, that's a great note. And that's definitely going to lean into this as well. All right, chat. I think this is a jam against this player. Um, they've taken a lot of spots here. Good luck, us. We wanted a fold there, to be clear. Okay. Uh, next hand then let's, let's keep going. Uh, this is a different tournament. No, none of these, the rest of these are PKOs. So we don't have to worry about that anymore. Uh, but I thought that hand was interesting enough to kind of, uh, because of that stat that really, that was really the key part that made me make that decision. And and Chris, Um, do you want to, do you want to talk about, um, like timing or live reads or stuff for that hand as well, or because it was non-line hand, just stick to. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about that more with some of these others. I think that those, uh, those may come up a little bit more here. Okay. Uh, I'm going to get to the key part of this hand, but we open pretty uncontroversially with ace queen. We get flatted by the button. Um, we get a nine, four, nine flop. Uh, we decide to check this. Uh, and we see a small bet from the button, um, which we call. Um, we can talk. This might be not the greatest play, but I want to get deeper in the hand. Uh, goes check, check on the Ten of Hearts river. Or, I mean, on the Ten of Hearts. And why is this? Okay. Uh, Queen of Diamonds on the river. Um so we've just seen a, um, again, to review the action, it, uh, we opened, they flatted us, uh, we checked on the flop, they they bet out, which we called, it went check, check on the turn, queen comes on the river. What is your normal course of action, seeing how this hand is played out? Um and then what might make you change your uh, course of play here? Are you betting? Are you check calling? Are you check raising? What's your normal course of action here as it as it's uh, as this hand is played out? I would probably normally bet here um, in an effort to get him to call because he he made an aggressive action when you showed a non-aggressive action. So he might've just been doing that just to try to steal the pot at that time. So I'm not convinced that he's going to try again. Although if I had a stat on him that showed that his aggression factor was very, very high, especially when you check to him, then I might check to him hoping that he's going to bet. But that's the, that's what I'd want to understand is how often does he uh, attack a pot 
when it's been checked to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my default is probably to go into bluff catching mode here and do a check, hoping that they were they had the flush draw. Um, because you really don't want to bet into if he does happen to have a nine. Uh, so that would be my my response. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that I would be redundant on, right? Yep. I would say that this for me is a pretty consistent bet fold spot. I would probably want to drop between a third to a half. Um, and if he, hopefully he calls, you know, we get some thin value out of a 10 or a, a four um, or I guess pocket like jacks or something. And if he raises, then I'd probably fold it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could have it. You'd love for him to have a hand like Jack Queen here where he was betting the draw on the flop and then uh, well, no, bad example, I suppose, but it really comes down to do you think you're going to get more value getting called or calling a bluff? And I think you do kind of need to know something about the opponent in order to make that decision. Yeah, because I was talking about definitely viable options, uh, but it changes on like what our opponent in the button, like what do we put them on how they're going to react in like these certain spots. Uh, Cause I know there's a lot of uh, lesser experienced players. When you go play live, they're raising nothing. Ex- like even King Jack, uh, they might not raise here. You know, they'd raise the like pocket Queens and pocket tens. Uh, but that might be it. Like, if that's the opponent, I'm going to take the the bet fold line. And if if I happen to only get called uh, when they have ace nine, uh, okay, I set the price. Uh, but I was trying to get your your pocket jacks or your whatever your pocket sevens to call or whatever it may be, um, and kind of be happy with that. But then there's other people that um, in that same like style of player uh, will always like bet when they don't have a hand that they can show down here. Uh, you know, if they have pocket sevens and don't think they have any value here, they'll just bet. And like, that's their only course of action. Cause they're just trying to get you to fold and sure. Then I'm just going to bluff catch for some. Um, and it's not the easiest to like figure it out, but sometimes you can start picking up on different people's tendencies. Like how willing are they to go after pots that aren't theirs? What does their interest level look like? Cause some people just look disinterested uh, when the 10 queen comes out and they're like, please just let me check this down. Or there's some people that are like, uh, you know, I, I now have an opportunity. Let me bluff. Uh, so you can potentially pick up on, you know, just some body movement uh, reactions out of them too, to determine like what's the best line here. Cause um, I mean, you've got a valuable hand. It's just, how are you going to get one more bet out of this opponent? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, so I like, I like what you were just saying, Taylor, like, like trying either like the, the, in the live setting, kind of looking at the sort of interest or disinterest level the kind of like how what if i what if i told you that um the bet on the flop was an insta bet would that mean anything to you would it change uh anything about your approach as you got to this river like they i mean literally you couldn't have 
you the bet was out before you finished checking. Yeah, I weighed them against having nines there uh, personally, because mm-hmm. um, like if you're gonna like, what hands would you think about in that spot? And I think you would think about like a really strong valued hand like Ace Nine, uh, and you would like go through that internal monologue of should I just check here and try and trap or should I just bet? Uh, and it would at least take some train of thinking to like go through that. But um, this makes me feel like this is the type of person that's going to like stab a lot when checked to when they have position and their range could be incredibly wide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if it, if it was very quick, it just meant it was automatic. So there's no thought process at all behind what's going on. And, and it doesn't even need to be thinking through everything. It's like, this decision is easy for me, um, so I can put this out. And it may not be necessarily anything related to his hand. It's just uh, preflop raiser checks, my action is bet. And so I don't have to think about it because I'm going to take a stab at this pot no matter what. Well, there are a lot of people who will bet a paired board. Um, mm-hmm. Because now there's there's only two cards you can match, and one of them has, you've got a blocker on the board for it. So, um, I, that Instapot just reads to me like someone trying to steal. Mm-hmm. So, um, particularly when they didn't follow up, uh, they checked the turn, right? Correct. It went check, check yeah. on the turn. So when they didn't follow up on the turn, I mean, if they have the, the set there, they're going to try to eke some more value out of it. So I would give them some rope. I, I'd be more inclined to, to check this in that particular case. Yeah, I agree that um, although what a lot of people have said here, that quick timing usually means easy decisions. So either it's, this is a paired board, I'm gonna do it at a high frequency, or it could be, you know, I've got two clubs and I know this is a chance to take it away. Um, I think people tend to check quickly with their monsters, like if he had, a nine here, I think he's either going to think about it and like really weigh what's the perfect value bet size to get the most out of you over three streets, you know what I mean? Or they're going to be one of those slow players that just says, no, 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 I, I'm not interested in this hand at all, you know? Um, but the quick bets, I feel like, tend to be more like those easy decision hands. And that that given the action on the turn, that would then incline me to take a bluff catching line here and check calling because a lot of their range is now not going to have any showdown value. And so their only chance to win is by bluffing them. Mm-hmm. And listen, some of those other draws that they could have, if it's not clubs, they're going to be hands that have like a, a 10 or a queen or a jack or an eight in them. We'd love for them to be value betting a 10 or a queen here. Um so we can actually, if we can beat some of their value bets as well as all their bluffs, then that does also incline me to, because uh, I, I doubt they're, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know if they would call with a 10 if we bet here. Yeah. So, and uh, let me ask you this. Uh, so that was that was sort of a, a live situation. Um, what, what might you be looking for, again, in those HUD stats, uh, Jim? I don't know if you have ones that you think about when you're, uh, that might lead you to some of those same, some of those same conclusions or same sort of like decision point. Are there certain stats that you might look for where you'd be like, is this player going to 
I mean, Rob actually mentioned aggression frequency. Is that is that the kind of uh, stat we're going to be looking toward in this spot? Yeah, a hundred percent. There's also like river aggression. Um, there's also uh, like went to showdown. Um, there's also uh, a float flop stat that I use a lot in spots like this, where if I check, are they going to stab at a very high frequency? Like it it's hard to say on what boards this is a this is a board that you think people would float bet at a higher frequency anyways but if they never float then you can maybe it is a nine because they're not taking all those spots uh, to put it out there uh the problem with river stats is that they accumulate so slowly you need such a huge data set in order to actually make meaningful exploits on river stats they just don't come up that often those action points don't don't come up that often that's um you really have to lean on things like the difference between their overall aggression frequency and the river aggression frequency um and stuff like that because it's just hard to get meaningful data on river river play i I think that you know from a tell standpoint too is this is the one thing that argues against multi-tabling i know it's more uh, it pays better to do that at times if you have an edge, but um, watching each of the hands as they're turned over through leading up to this would give you as much information as any of the HUD stats would about what they're likely to have at the end of the hand. Um, but that takes focus and that takes not going, not all tabbing to something else. And I think that's difficult for a lot of, uh, a lot of players probably, but a lot of recreational players as well to, to maintain that focus throughout um, that time to get that information. Sorry, yeah, one thing then, I should. Sorry, I just want to follow up quick. I didn't. I didn't mention the turn, but the fact that they check the turn is actually pretty important. And uh, it's easy to get like HUD stats where you can measure aggression from street to street. And while the rivers don't come up that frequently, turns come up pretty frequently. And if they are more or less, if if the turns their street of honesty, then you can you can extrapolate something from that as well. Sorry, Tom. Mm-hmm. And then uh, not a hub, not a hub thing, but definitely a tendency thing. I think that's pretty important here, especially if we're considering the check line is how much does our opponent tend to bet in terms of like bet sizing? Um, Because there are certain people that will like never touch the like full pot uh, button. And then there's people that will. Um, So I think that's an important one to know because I'm guessing we're at least a little bit concerned sizing wise. Once we get here, like if our opponent goes full pot or over pot, are we all that comfortable anymore? Just calling down with top pair uh, in this spot. So if you have an opponent that, you know, give them this opportunity, they're going to bet 500 or five big blinds into this 12 big blind pot. Hey, that feels really safe. I'll, I'll take my chances that I've got the winning hand there. I like my improved uh, probability. I, I think sometimes too, you can, because uh, just uh, along the same lines as Taylor is saying, is that whether they're just clicking the button or whether they're actually typing in a number, uh, particularly on a river play, because the values are so much more makes a difference in terms of, well, how much am I thinking about this hand? How, how much of a decision do I have? And the longer that it takes for me, sometimes the less likely I am to call not because I think they're thinking about what they want to do, but they're taking their time in terms of trying to choose to get as much out of me as they can, uh, rather than just clicking and hoping that I'll fold. 
I I don't actually think I uh, I, I guess I didn't actually program this out. Sorry, didn't set it up for what actually happened. But I'll tell you what actually happened. Uh, I did decide to check this, which is a board that and a situation that I would I think normally uh, lead out on, uh, given the weakness shown on the turn um, against most opponents. But given that that the both the quick check back um, and a, another, you know, just kind of like the the tendency things we were talking about, I just felt like this was a player that was. Um, gonna stab a lot at this um and they 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 did end up stabbing and taylor they stabbed full pot and i still pretty much snap called them um so maybe that was maybe that's a little rough on my hand but they did not they had clubs they had uh i, I was hoping i was gonna say they had two yeah. clubs in their hand yeah, yeah. no I, I mean i wasn't uh, necessarily saying like hey if they go full pot you have to fold here but like it makes it more uncomfortable right like you would have been way happier calling for a smaller sizing for sure um but they definitely have king queen or king jack in their range here um yep yep and when that's the case they should size up their bluffs yeah uh they actually had uh ace jack of clubs which is a pretty good that um, is a good one yeah a pretty good bluff candidate here um but um, it was it was uh, it, I actually thought they might have had some more nonsense going on too. So, um, but it, it's a kind of spot where I would play this. I would play this pretty differently, and I think uh, I think that those clubs. I don't think those clubs turn themselves into. If I bet out at this, I don't think those clubs. I think they just fold. So um, I was able to sort of, based on some of that read, I was able to maximize some value there, which was very, very good for this tournament, actually. Uh, okay. All right, another really interesting one. Here we go. Pocket eights. We got uh, 20 big blinds. We min open. Fold, fold, call from the big blind. Flop comes seven seven five. Uh, we get a check, and um, we decide to bet. Can argue whether that's smart or not. And big blind jams. Um, what is what is your standard approach to this spot? Maybe it's to not bet. Yeah. Well, no, like this is a good one in terms of like tendencies and like who you're playing against and like what does this generally mean? Uh, assuming this is online, I feel like online, um, a lot of players don't turn sevens into this type of jam, but they very much turn straight draws, pair of fives, uh, and such into jams. So I'd feel quite comfortable calling this off just due to my like read of the general player pool uh, that's out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So at a lower stake, this would be an easy fold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this, I think this is a pretty high stakes uh, online tournament. If I remember, I think this is a, this is a, this is a one Oh nine on ACR. Yeah, the higher the stakes, the more likely I am to call. <laughs> uh, the, the, I think I like the continuation bet on a paired board like this. Uh, you've got definitely got the 
range advantage. You've got the equity advantage. He's calling from the big blind. Big blind is seeing three cards that are lower than, you know, seven or lower. So mm -hmm. he's saying to himself, well, this hits my range really well. And Chris has got ace king. So he's just throwing a bet out there. <laughs> so, right. yeah, I think I could, <laughs> I could find a call here because I think anybody that has a seven is not going to want to chase you out of the pot. Yeah. This is a bet that says, go away, little boy. You All you have is 20 big blinds, and <laughs> I have all these other big blinds, so just go away. All right. What kinds of things? I, I, I agree. I agree, especially at the, I think, the higher stakes. And Taylor, I think you nailed the population tendencies. Um, what would you need to see from your opponent to fold here? Or would you ever? Uh, I would have to see like some really tight pre-flop stats uh, and especially like big blind defense. If we can like really narrow that down uh, and don't see like any three bets from them from the big blind, then I do get potentially scared because they may be like, oh, you know, I've got nines, tens. I'm just going to call, make sure I get a safe flop. And then they're actually going and like having you dominated in certain spots. Um but like outside of that, I'm having a tough time, uh, like finding a, a good like what would make me fold here. Um, some players have very narrow donking ranges or check raising ranges, and I find that those two kind of work in concert for a lot of players. A lot of players that have donking ranges um, tend to put some of their stronger hands in one of those two camps. And uh, that would be one thing that I'd look at. If they have a high check raising frequency, then they're going to be doing it with a lot of non-nutted hands, a lot of draws. And this is a good board for that. So I'd be much more inclined to call. Also, if it, again, if it was like super fast, if it was just like a super fast check raise here, I would also put some extra weight behind them trying to push us out of the pot. And uh, I'd probably be a little more inclined to call again. That's player pool dependent, but um, I feel like that's, I feel like in, in real time, that would probably impact me. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. Let me, let me give you this. Cause this, this is the scenario. Uh, what if you had, uh, I believe I had, I believe I had 400, maybe 500 hands. So it was, it was a good sample. Not, not absolutely great, but, but pretty good. Um, and their check raise percentage was two. Ugh. I, yeah, no, then, then I think I'm probably folding because the, the, I, I know those players. And do they have do they have a donk range? Did are you able to recall? I don't that think that there was much of a donk. No, not much at all. So then, so then I don't think this is that sophisticated a player. Their their only way of um, playing in these kind of spots is with their top two percent of hands. Like if they're if they're playing board coverage, if they're check raising by board, it's going to be higher than two percent. So if they're not check raising by board, then they're check raising by the strength of their hand. And I don't know, I guess, no, I just don't, I just don't think given the, given the price, I don't think we're, I don't think they're bluffing enough to make it a profitable call. 
This is the one of the night where I'm not going to give you the answer because I did fold. I mean, I, so I don't know what they had, but um, I would too. If they check raise 2%, you're exploiting them by folding. Yeah. And yeah. if they if they had like ace five here or something like they God don't have them. it enough. Yeah. yeah. If they if they do, they don't have it enough. I mean, I know there's more combos of five X and seven X available because of the board, but I I just don't think it's I don't think I don't think they're doing enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I mean that I, I thought this was kind of interesting too, because I think like this is so much a play that I just, you know, you're, you're dreaming of this with eight to get seven, seven, five. And like, people just kind of go nuts with this. Um, and I looked at the, and I, when I saw the players, I was like, Oh my God, I have to fold this. I think I have to, I, do I have to fold this. And yeah, I think so. Good, good fold. And listen, this is what I hate about poker. You just don't get to know, yeah. right? Like you don't get to know if it was a good fold or not. Right. Right. We, we can all tell you, but uh, you're going to stay up at night wondering. <laughs> yeah, I still kind of wonder, but probably sure. probably I'm is sure. a good one. Yeah. All right, are we ready for the last hand? Bring it mm -hmm. on. This one's crazy. Let's oh, just start. Let's just start there and say this is a crazy hand. <laughs> um, all right, this is another. Uh, this is a high stakes tournament. Um, and we'll just sort of explain the action. All right, open under the gun, of course, right? Rebet from under the gun one. A flat from the cutoff folds to us. Let's start here. Actually, there's two decision points in this hand. Uh, so that will indicate that I did not fold here, um, which maybe is the right uh, option. How would you approach this in a just know nothing about any of the player situations? Honestly, I would probably just call and set mine as crazy as it sounds with jacks. We're deep enough. There's uh, enough implied odds to make a hand. I don't want to three bet into an under the gun open. I sorry, I don't want a cold four bet into an under the gun open, and then an under the gun plus one. Eric Jin would kill me for using that language right I know, now. But, I know. Um, it's on the screen. What can we do? I, know, I, know, I can't yeah. change it. That's just that's how this how this easy hand replayer labels them. Because <laughs> um, their continuing range just has us crushed. And it, there's not that much garbage in their range that they're going to fold out. So it turns seems like we're kind of turning our hand into a bluff. So yeah, I think I would probably just call and try and hit a jack on the flop in a vacuum. Roast me. What do you uh uh so you mentioned these two players? What do you think of this player? I think they've got a pocket pair or suited connectors. And we're almost always beating them, right? Yes. Oh, we're a, we're a, yeah, almost always. Almost always. Yeah. Okay. Or they have a suitor days. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we're kind of this player we're less less nervous about. These players are obviously issues. So, I mean, we're less we're less worried about them from like a pre-flop hand strength point of view, but right. they're the ones that are going to have the hands that can get funky post-flopped on, on a lot of boards, right? They're going to be the ones that are going to be harder to know if they have the straight draw or the flush draw or the set. Um, whereas I think these first two players are much more likely to have like two cards higher than a 10 paired or unpaired. 
So on the under the gun plus one, what is his three bet stat? That is so. Let's okay. <laughs> Before we get to actually what it was, um, <laughs> are but what are the stats that were so that's so you if if I asked you what stats would you want to know about these three players before you made a decision about what to do with your jacks here? One of the things you'd want to know is how often is this player three betting, particularly from early position, right? And the under the gun player, I'd like I want to know is VPIP and his PFR, mm-hmm. because is is he a loose passive where when he raises he's going to have a very strong hand, or is is he a tight aggressive where he still has a very big hand, or you know what I'm saying? Yep. yep. So the more he raises in relation to his VPIP, the wider his range could be, even from under the gun. I'd also want to know what his four bet frequency is, because if we are deciding to come along here, it really depends on him closing the action with the call. We do not want to call here and then see a four bet. So if they have a very, very, very low four bet, or if they have a very, very high call three bet or fold to three bet, then either of those would make me more inclined to call here because I'd be less worried about him reopening the action. I've got a few uh, questions that are going through my head and you don't necessarily have to answer them, but just like the types of things that I'm thinking about. But um, first is like, what is the table dynamics been like? Like, has there been a lot of like three betting? We're pretty deep stack. Like, is it pretty common uh, to see a lot of three bets Um, and try and like understand that? Like, is this a rare thing? Is this, Hey, we're a hundred bigs or 60 plus bigs deep. Uh, for most people here like there's a lot of three betting going on and then the other thing that seems uh a bit curious to me is the undergun opening to just a min open uh, of two bigs off of a hundred big blind stack with a lot of deep stacks uh available um it called me weird but i feel like people size up a bit more when they've got the premiums there and keep it low when they've got low pocket pairs, suited connectors, uh, suited ace type of things that they're opening from under the gun, the the worst part of their under the gun opening range. So to me, that feels like that range might be a bit weaker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other stat that's interesting, if and I think uh, Rob already mentioned this, if the under the gun plus one player has a super uh super wide three bet and if they've been doing it against this player quite a bit then if the original player is also liable to fold a lot actually i don't mind a cold four bet with this because the uh late position player is not going to come along and you just need to find that sweet spot where now you're kind of squeezing that under the gun player where they're facing a three bet now a cold four bet they have to fold a ton of even the open under the gun range and if the low jack player or if the under the gun plus one player has enough three betting in their early position range, then they have to fold a lot of that when you bring a big, a big four betting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my uh, my action here is to four bet jam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's 16 bigs in the middle there. Uh, we started with 54. We can make a huge I, improvement to our stack I, if we get folds. I, uh, so I, this is actually, I really love that you just said that because I, I, I also think there's a hand that I feel like I misplayed it. 
even though this read will come in, I'll tell you a little bit about these two players, the, the under the gun and the under the gun one. But I think based on this read later in the hand, I made a decision that I think, I think I can live with. I think right now, I think it calls for a four bet. And that is this under the gun. Uh, the actual under the gun player um, is opening a lot from early position. Uh, they're opening, I think, 28, 29% of hands, something like oh, that. So it's Lord from under the gun. It's, it's a lot. And I think I, even though I had less stats on the end of the gun, one player, I think they noticed and they were three betting uh, a, a little bit against that more. Uh, and so then once I tell you that, right, I think then um, I, I think I got in my own head about these oh god it's under the gun well i still have to be careful i think i still got oh and there's this intervening caller so i i ended up calling this um and i think that's a mistake i think really i love what you just said taylor and especially knowing now what i just told you i think this is a clear clear just jam get it in let's run our equity we're probably ahead uh we're not scared of the cutoff um and these two players might be messing around a lot mm-hmm. um is so how was he responding to the under the gun one increase in three bets? Was he typically calling it off or was he folding to it? He seemed to be flatting. And then, um, you know, kind of, it was, I think, let's flat and see where we get. I think this was a player that just liked to see, to see flops. Well, then, uh, but, then, it, then I would okay. think that a four bet makes a hell of a lot more sense because you don't want to be going four ways to the flop with jacks. Right. right. No, yeah. I do not. Um, and I've now surprisingly, oh no, he did call. I'm sorry. I thought he folded. Okay. So I agree. I agree. I think I should have four bet this. Um, but now we've got this kind of read on, on our opponents. Uh, we've got Jack's and we get just like, if, I mean, if I could pick a flop other than that didn't have a Jack in it, uh, it would probably be this one. Um, this is about as dreamy a flop as it can possibly get. I don't think there's a lot of like fours and three, maybe cutoff. Has, if if they're like pretty bad, they've got like fours and threes in their range, but uh, I, I, I don't think there's that many to worry about. So we're only really worried about the overpairs. Now this player declined to four bet. So I'm not really worried about that. This is the only player I think that potentially has me beat with a, with some over, you know, over cards, but, even though I didn't four bet them, I had this read on them that they that they basically had a read on this player. You know, like that, and then like that is one of the things about reads I think that you can understand is that if you have HUD stats on a player and and another player's been at your table for a while, they have those same ones too. And if they're paying attention, you can sometimes interpret some of their actions as um, maybe they're trying to run some exploits too, and you can run, you can exploit the exploit in some ways. So we check, check, we get a uh, bet here and a call from our intervening cutoff player. Tell me what you read there. Two diamonds or pocket sevens. Yeah. Okay. And and here we're nervous about it, but. Um, I don't know. This is a big bet, by the way. Pretty big bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's half pot, half pot multi-way. Yeah, half pot um, multi-way, I think, is pretty big when we're four ways. But um 
So I, I, what, what would you do here with your jacks? Spend it. Yeah. And uh, so I did end up sending it here based on that read feeling like under the gun one can be messing around. Uh, and then is just following through here. Um, and I think I like the preflop jam um, a lot better. Um, but um, we actually, what do you think happened? Well, let me let me ask this question yeah. because I get into this spot and it's a real argument for jamming pre because here, when you jam, you're letting like ace king off the hook when they don't hit an ace or a king. But if they would have called you pre-flop, then you actually, they don't get that free roll. Um, now, when you ship it, you're really limiting their continuing range to hands that you're not doing nearly as well against. Because uh, it's going to be mostly overcar over pairs and like, you know, let's give them some connected diamonds. You know, let's see. Yeah. Uh, so that always makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't I'm not sure, I don't really have a point. I guess I just have a question. Like how does that if we know that this is going to be in the decision tree on the flop, does that should that weigh us even more heavily towards shoving pre-flop cuz if they have aces, kings or queens, we're going broke no matter what. Right. But if they have ace king, we can make money from them when we shove pre-flop or I guess we can fold post-flop, I guess is the thing. If it comes up with an ace or a king on there, are we going to feel like we're just not getting our own chips. And and honestly, the other thing to, to consider here is that, I mean, based on what's now gone in and is now sitting here mm-hmm. in the middle, um, we've already, ca- I mean, I know you're, you're like, if we had got it in, in the, and like they called with Ace King, right? We're, we're probably capturing more value. But uh, if we get it in here and they fold Ace King now, um, we've already captured our value. We've yeah, captured good so much value right now. Good um, yep, good point. That's my thought, at least, especially with that intervening call. We're not, I am not scared of this intervening call, like, at all. Mm-hmm. Like, Does anybody notice that the uh, under the gun one player bet exactly half pot? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> basically, he clicked the half pot button. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. To me, that looks like he's just, okay, this flop didn't hit anybody. I'm going to take it away. Mm-hmm. And at the cutoff guy, he called. Um, did he call like immediately or was there a little pause? That one I can't remember. But what? Okay. Tell, tell me what, what, how would that change your mind? What would, what, tell me what you would think about if you saw that. Um, if, if he, he had a, like an ace seven of diamonds, for instance. That'd be pretty much an automatic call. He would be snap. If he had ace three of clubs, he might think about it for a minute because now he's looking at, hey, I've got trips. I wonder, should I be raising here or not? So that's the only thing that I would think of from the standpoint of, um, you know, timing tell. But other than that, I think he's probably sitting there with some sort of suited ace with uh, ace of diamonds or maybe yeah it'd have to be the ace of diamonds probably yeah or like i pocket nines and pocket tens is what this yeah. you know really feels yeah, like that could be too. yeah yeah mm-hmm. he did put in a third of his stack of his third of his remaining stack 
to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I'm a bit scared of the under the one, gun plus one, like continuing here, um, just because, like, I feel like Ace King of random suits just kind of shuts down. Likewise yeah. with Ace Queen, like, do they really want a continuation bet on this board into three other people? Mm -hmm. um, it feels scary, but it's exactly half pot. And if this is online, uh, that's kind of a tell to me that this is a less experienced poker player and probably a little bit more recreational. A lot of the pros uh, have their bet sliders to different percentages and don't go with the half pot option. Um, so that makes me feel a little bit better, but I mean, it could still be Queens, Kings, Aces, because this guy's uncapped currently. Yep, for sure. For sure. For sure. Um, I agree. Like, I mean, this was a this was a uh a risk. Um, but I felt based on that dynamic between these players that it was one that I could potentially take and win a really big pot. Um this player ended up folding. This player did call me. Um, they ended up having ace five of diamonds, um, which is not the, my favorite hand to see. Um, mm -hmm. But we did run it. Um, and uh, it actually was a pretty gross run up for them. Um, <laughs> did I did I do it? Yeah. So it came king of diamonds and then the three on the uh, <laughs> on the river. So Max let's go. Game. Let's go. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, you know, I it, it at least, you know, I don't know if this was the right play. I think the shoving pre was the right play. But but I do think that one of the things I wanted to point out with this is that some of our reads can be about, if we can read the reads, we can actually make some some informed decisions too. So if like we can understand that this player is sort of the one that everyone has that sort of glowing spotlight on is like this player is out of line. So I'm going to do something about it. Now you can then say, okay, once somebody's taking an action against the player that everybody at the table knows is out of line, now you can take an action against them. Uh, and that can be an exploit as well. And I think that's one that, um, I still think I kind of butchered this hand, but I think it's one that you can, uh, if you're not thinking about that, that's something to be sort of applying into your game. And especially yeah, something that, sorry, Rob, please. That was something that we talked about in the poker brain when we we're going through the, uh, exploitive tendencies of people is one of the things you're supposed to do is you're supposed to observe all of your opponents to see what their tendencies are. And if you categorize that guy as a, wild three better without realizing that he's doing it against somebody who is opening too wide then you're missing out on the real information so if he three bets against somebody else he's liable to have a really big hand he's not just a wild three better it's just that he was doing it against that specific opponent so you can't go with just the raw stats you have to look at the uh what's happening around it and the and what you know yeah. what is the entire situation and I also want to just point out that, you know, especially pre-flop, you know, shorter stacks poker like this is a game of frequencies. And you're supposed to shove and be wrong a, a portion of the time. Like that's that's an, that's part of a successful outcome here is occasionally you're wrong because they have a really good hand. Anything you can do 
to put your thumb on the scales and increase the frequency with which they don't have a very strong hand because they're not making any more strong hands. You can't do anything to like, oh, they have more strong hands than aces, kings, queens, and ace, king. That does, that's not how that works. But if you can make their range wider by having them make their own exploit against other players or having some kind of sizing tell or something that, that indicates to you that they might be doing it with more garbage in their range, you kind of have to take that spot because you don't get, this isn't a game where you get to, you know, be sure this, this is a game where you have to make educated guesses. And from a frequency point of view, the more they weaken, the more they widen their frequency, the, the weaker it is, the more often your raise is going to win. And you just can't worry that even though they have a really wide range, they still have aces, kings, and queens in them. I mean, it, it matters a lot. It matters a lot in the in the frequency game like this. And, you, and I guess you see this sometimes when like a player is sitting out on their big blind. This is a perfect example. Mm. People start raising much more widely than they would because there's no one there to defend the big blind. Some players might not even know that they're sitting out on the big blind. That happens to me all the time. And so I'm just like an auto 2x basically every time the big blind sitting out. And of course, I'm going to be folding to three bets at a much higher frequency than it would be if it was my own open size, if it was my typical opening situation. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, so uh, I think with that, we'll just kind of wrap it up. I, I really appreciate everyone sort of tagging along for the ride. Uh, any any last thoughts on kind of how to approach these situations where we're trying to make maybe some plays that are a little outside you know, where we're, you know, kind of based on reads. Are there any other things that you think as kind of rec poker communities thinking about these spots or to like take with them as they go? How, how, how do they, you know, what are some, any last words of wisdom, basically? There's a couple words of wisdom from a wise man named uh, Rob Washam, which is to just take your hand off the mouse. And if you're in a position where you might be swayed by a tell or something like that, Give yourself the chance to really analyze it and think about how applicable is this and, and what does this mean for their range. Um, and the only other one-off would just be look left. Always be looking left. Even if there's not like like even if you don't think they're giving off a lot, like take that time. Just look left. Uh really study the player and you'll be surprised how how frequently you can pick up something. You might not even know what it is, but something will start moving in the back of your brain telling you to move this way or this way. And, uh, you know, your, your, your brain's pretty smart. I, I'd listen to it. Yeah. I, like I was that. just going to say that yeah, I was surprised there's two Rob Washams in the world. <laughs> oh, yes. Beautiful, John. Nicely done, sir. <laughs> no, I think the other one's called Bob. <laughs> no the only thing the only other thing i would say is don't watch the tv if you're at a live mm -hmm. setting mm -hmm. leave your phone in your pocket or leave it down you know you don't need to be on social media in between hands and like you said when you're online take your hand off the mouse basically what we're saying is pay attention to what's going on at the table because as jim just said you intuitively things are going to come to you because you've been paying attention. You see something that's abnormal from the standpoint of what's been going on at the table around you. And that can intuitively tell you, give you the information you need to make a decision. Yeah. 
I'd say trust your gut. You know, everything someone does has a purpose to it. If you can pick up what that purpose was, uh, you can make better informed decisions. Uh, sometimes people act or, you know, try and portray different pieces. But like, if you can pick that up, you can un- use that in terms of information too. Uh, but like Joe was talking about earlier, like, is there like a moment of surprise or like, uh, you know, a shock moment? And then they kind of give off their true reaction in a certain spot and you noticed it and you go, oh, okay. Now I'm starting to see this. Like, what does it mean? Uh, but sometimes you just got to trust your gut in those spots. Love it. Love it. Uh, well, uh, Jim, Taylor, Joe, Rob, John, uh, thanks so much uh, for doing this. Uh, thanks for everyone who tuned in this month. Um, we will see you uh, next month uh, for the next deep dive. Uh, until then, thanks for tuning in. And we're back. We did it, folks. Uh, I can't believe it's been an hour and three minutes already. The time just flew by. That's what happens when um, you're working with amazing folks like Chris Jones and uh, the rest of the Wrecking Crew. So thanks, Chris. That was really interesting. Um, and I'm so appreciative that you get to put this together every single month. And and Chris Chris does some juggling on these. Chris, do you want to, since we're taking people behind the curtain, do you want to kind of share a little bit about how you're working on three seminars at once all the time? Yeah, that it gets confusing. So we're like, what's the theme of the month? And I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> because uh, we are playing a session usually in a month that then shows up sort of almost two months from then it's, it's sort of like six weeks away, but like you play it at the end of the month and it shows up the the following month after we do some stuff, there's the stuff we're talking about that month. So we're doing the stuff that we're talking about. We're playing something that's got a future thing. And then I'm, I'm shuffling together all the stuff from the previous month to come out for the next month. So it, it gets a little like confusing. Yeah, but we're uh, you do a great job, and I only occasionally come by and screw it up. So I think we're running pretty hot, really, as far as these things go. It feels like a win. Uh, so uh, let me see. So why don't uh, John? Why don't you start taking us through some home game results? Um, actually, well, I was going to let you start and interrupt you, but first, let's talk about the running aces uh, road trip because that's like super exciting, and I don't want anyone that's still tuning in to miss this. So uh, August fourth, Friday. Get your butts down to running aces because there's a tournament at 10 a.m. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun. In fact, let me pull up the uh, structure sheet here. But it's going to be Friday. There's one at 10 in the morning, and then there's one at 6 p.m. The 6 p.m. one is actually uh, exclusively available to Rec Poker members. So you only need to sign up for a free uh, community account to play, but that will be a condition. It's only for members. That 6 p.m. one is $175, and it's the Rec Poker Members Only Freeze Out Tournament. At 10 a.m. Uh, that day, uh, event number one in our three tur- tournament event series is $140. It's called The Extras. It's presented by Rec Poker, um, and Rec Poker Premium members get a $10 food voucher for playing. And that one is a re-entry to the point of late registration. Then on Saturday... At 10 a.m., event number three is the player's special. That's $175. That one is also a re-entry. And then I think we're going to start a, uh, a rec poker cash game uh, up on one of the tables or maybe two of the tables after that tournament. Once people start busting that tournament, maybe we'll shoot some fun videos around there. There's going to be a meal break in between all this stuff. 
Um, a lot of the wrecking crew members will be hanging around. I'm going to be there Thursday night through Sunday morning. So if people want to grab breakfast or a beer at any point, I'm going to be an easy sell on that. And otherwise, just playing a ton of poker and hanging out with uh, rec poker folks. So I'm super excited about that. Um, I know we're going to be uh, we're going to have a great crowd there. So if you're thinking about it, I mean, quit thinking and book the flight or get on the drive or book the hotel. Um, I love these live poker rec uh these live rec poker road trips that we're doing they're so much fun um i think you'll have a lot of fun too and if you're if you're new to you know tournament poker live tournament poker or cash games and you're not sure about getting um getting your getting dipping a toe into it this is a really fun group to come and experiment with and to sort of try and see if you like it um we're all gonna have a good time and take it pretty easy on each other other than at the table yeah chris what's going on here there, there's a there's a bounty been placed on uh, Rec Poker Jim's head in the chat. <laughs> well, I think I'll give people one guess as to who's responsible for that. All right, Phil, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna outplay your bounty. I'm gonna know that there's a bounty on me. I'm gonna adjust my ranges and sizes accordingly. Um, so you can't you can only make me stronger, Phil, by putting that bounty on my head. Um. Actually, I think I was going to put a, a bounty on my own head. I think if anyone takes me out of one of these tournaments, I'm going to give away uh, an article of Rec Poker merchandise, a, a polo or a hoodie or something like that. There will be some other prizes as well um, for beating other Wrecking Crew members uh, or for doing other fun things over the course of it. Uh, Running Ace is going to give a bunch of swag away as well, um, and we'll give away some memberships and that kind of thing. So um, it's going to be a pretty big overlay on on fun prizes. I guess that's what I'm saying. All right, John, what do you say? How uh, You've been very patient this entire time. Yes, I would never want to interrupt you because that is so extremely rude. So and rude. Uncooped. So rude. So <laughs> don't chase 666. Joseph Armstrong got his second nightly victory for the year. Ben Mar got her first nightly victory oh, for John, the year. Oh, John, sorry, sorry. We should just say, uh, so folks, you should start <laughs> You should start typing the words food bank into the chat, because as you know, um, every episode, we're going to give away a prize uh, that we raffle off here. Joe Coolis is going to be uh, sharing his screen as he rolls some nerdy virtual dice. And um, one one thing we're going to do is uh, uh, give away some prizes to help combat the plight of food insecurity in North America. So go ahead and type the word food bank in there. And if you're listening at home, uh, type the word food bank near me into Google and you'll find an organization that could benefit from your support uh, and some money, some dollars, some hours or some non-perishable food items. John, uh, you were saying. Uncle Tom's Cabin got his first <laughs> nightly victory for the year. Squidge 2022, Kate Ibbotson got her hmm. second nightly victory for the year. B-Chip Charles Allen got his fourth nightly victory for the year. And Jasper Jr., Pat Barry got his first nightly victory for the year. K-Poker wannabe, Kit Ron Payton, got his third daily mixed wow. practice event victory for the year. Rosie Q, Roz Quarto, got her second international victory for the year. And Killy19341 got his third international victory for the year. Nice. And last but not least, Libro Cubicle Art Scott mm. got his second LPP victory for the year. So he can contact contact info at rec.poker for his free month at Learn Pro Poker. 
That's right, Scott. Don't hesitate. Send that email, info at rec.poker. You're going to love your free month of Learn Pro Poker. And uh, just some really fantastic stuff happening in the YouTube chat over here. If, if you're listening to this on um, an audio format, I'd encourage you, come show up 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central um, every Monday night on YouTube. We give away a prize. It's showing up's free. All you have to do is type the word Good Bank in. And you're going to win a prize. And it's a lot more fun when you can see what all these goofs are getting up to in the uh, YouTube chat. Joe, I like your comment that every hat should have a bill. I think you're right. That's just that's part of what makes a lot of hats hats. Um, and Phil, as, as, a, as a slight clarification, just to interrupt you, uh, <laughs> typing the word food bank does not guarantee that you will win a prize. True. As Jim just said, that's it will guarantee that you have a an opportunity to win the prize depending upon how the dice favor your particular position that's a great point thank you john um thanks for covering my butt there yes uh, no purchase is necessary either for this uh, amazing sweepstakes opportunity that is going to be available to everyone who types the words uh food bank into the chat here um i do think i think phil's serious about this um uh bounty he says if you knock me out if you knock jim out you have to tweet a photo and then he'll send you twelve dollars and fifty cents um, over PayPal. So I think this is really, uh, I think this is really happening, folks. So an even more incentive to come and uh, take some easy money off Rec Poker Gym over at Running Aces. That's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Does a toque have a bill? Yeah, no. So not every hat, and not like beanies, I guess. Um, also, don't have bills, but a lot of the best ones do. I'll say that's all. Um, all right, so Mr. Joe Coolis, you have a you've you've we keep kind of raising the ceiling on how nerdy our dice setup can be. First, it was my Dungeons and Dragons dice. Then uh, Chris actually had to go and buy some nerdy dice himself, uh, upgrading his own nerddom. Um, now you're bringing this back, kind of full circle. Tell us, tell us, Joe, tell us what exactly are we looking at here before we do the roll? Because I want I don't I don't want to put words in your mouth, but this is this is awesome. So you can see my screen now. Yes. Okay. So this is um, there are online versions of Dungeons and Dragons, and this is one of them. It's called Roll Twenty. Um, we don't actually get a sponsorship from Roll Twenty. I think Chris would actually close up shop and leave if we get a sponsorship from Roll Twenty. <laughs> so hey, if, but, if hey, they want to pay us money, I'll tell them. That's fine yeah. by me. So um, what it is, it's just you run your games on here. But what they do have is they have a 3D dice option so that if you're playing and you need dice roll, you can roll them. And that's what we're going to try to do tonight. Um, there so we go. Looks so like we have let's, eight, is it? Did I count yeah, it right? let's, let's do the order because I don't want any bamboozling uh, to come out later. I don't want any complaints <laughs> about, uh, about ma manipulation or anything. So I see the first one is Joe then eric then mary then ben then phil then luke then jim then scott that's what i see does that does that look right to you joe confirm that order chris yeah all right so that is an eight we get to roll uh, we actually get to roll a nerdy die all right so there's a dice here for people and then to be to clarify over on the right it'll give you the exact number so that there, there can be no confusion about what dice roll came out it's, you know phil i think phil will approve of this particular approach. <laughs> there you go so let's phil see. call off your lawyers call off your dogs <laughs> all right let's see it let's see it. here we go let's see what we do. i'm excited 
is thinking it's a seven. So that's Gibber. Gibber. The second last person in there, the one and only Jim Gibson. I know, Jim, I'll be seeing your friendly face at Running Aces in a week and a half. Um, but but you you just keep winning stuff, buddy. Uh, so send me that email, please. Info at rec.poker and say uh, Joe rolled a seven on his big nerdy die and he rolled you right into the prize pool. So congratulations, Jim. And uh, thanks, Joe. That was fun. So I think we're going to continue. We're going to see sometimes we're going to use Joe's nerdy e-die uh, set up for Dungeons and Dragons. Sometimes we'll use, we're going to keep working on Chris's uh Daiso cam is that what we decided the iso cam yeah Daiso cam it's a Daiso cam um so we'll see we'll see <laughs> kim's just like why do i hang out with these goofs i just like the love of the look on her face the expression on kim's face right now is hilarious <laughs> um all right well uh folks is there anything else that we should mention here before we roll on out of here i, I really am so appreciative of uh everyone that got us to episode 500 last week that's fantastic um, everyone in the YouTube chat today um, is so much more fun listening to uh, or seeing folks chatting along in the YouTube chat. Uh, Kim, Keith, Joe, John, Chris, you all are the best. Thanks for all your help. The Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino and you, the listeners. We couldn't do it without you and your support. So keep smashing that subscribe button and we'll see you soon. Have a good night. Thanks again. You're not sharing your sound. Oh, no. Ah, I didn't change it back. I didn't change it back, of course. <laughs>